0: The following audio is from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Acts is available at actschurchleander.com. Today's scripture lesson is from the Gospel of St. Luke, the 14th chapter. When he, Jesus, noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is God's word for today. Glorious, would you all pray with me?
1: Heavenly Father, Lord, as we encounter you in your word today, as we continue to uh, look at the lies that we often tell ourselves and that kind of stick around and uh, become a head trash, Lord, we pray that your truth uh, replaces it, Lord, that we draw closer to you and closer to what you're doing. Father, Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we are in a series called Head Trash. And this concept came from a mentor of mine about four years ago. I was in ministry, and I had said, hey, is there anything in my life that you see that's stopping me from taking that next step as a pastor? And he said, you know what, Josh, you've got some head trash that I think you need to get rid of. And I had never heard of that term before or that concept. But essentially what he said was, head trash is any lie that you keep, that you hold on to, that stops you from taking that next step of following God. And that concept of head trash has really helped frame how I look at some of the lies in my own lives and how we as a church, we as a community, we as a culture deal with lies. And so we've been looking at things like shame and resentment. Next week, we're going to look at insecurity, which is my big, bad piece of head trash. God was kind of gracious to me. Originally, I was supposed to talk about anxiety first, and then I got sick, which is ironic because that's where most of my anxiety comes from, is not being able to preach on a Sunday morning. And that literally happened the week I was supposed to preach on anxiety, which was funny. Uh, So that got pushed back to the end. But this week, we're going to be looking at insecurity. And this is actually another one that's pretty personal to me because insecurity is something that I dealt with a lot, especially in middle school and high school. And honestly, middle school and high school is awkward for everyone, right? Our bodies are doing weird things. Our social skills are doing different things. I hadn't learned how to shower, so that wasn't helping anything, right? But I dealt with insecurity a lot. And we're gonna use for definition, meaning uncertainty or anxiety about one's individual worth about one's abilities or a lack of confidence, right? So when we look in the mirror, we don't see the things we like, right? So in middle school, in early high school, I looked in the mirror and I looked at someone who wasn't funny enough to be the goofball in class. I looked at someone who wasn't athletic enough to hang out with the jocks or cool enough to sit at the cool table Or smart enough to hang out with eggheads, I looked in the mirror and all I saw was a lack of ability. And that lack of ability defined how I looked at myself. And it told me lies about who I was, lies about who God made me to be, and those lies stopped me from being able to interact with other people naturally, stopped me from being able to love people naturally. Those lies became my own little prison that I lived in. And all of us in some form or fashion deal with insecurity. But the irony of insecurity is insecurity comes with a flip side of the coin, which at first glance doesn't make sense until you realize that insecurity is all about what we think about ourselves. It's all about me. Do you know what the other side of thinking all about me is? Narcissism. Extremely self-centered with an exaggerated sense of self-importance marked by a characteristic of excessive admiration or infatuation with oneself. And typically what ends up happening is if you're wrestling with insecurity, it's like a pendulum. You'll be on one side looking in the mirror and being like, everything is wrong with me, nothing is right. And then the pendulum swings the other side and you're looking like, dude, that guy's awesome. That guy's legit. There is no problems whatsoever with that guy. And in fact, if the world only knew how awesome he was, how awesome I was, everything would be right in the world, right? But at the center of both narcissism and insecurity is me looking in the mirror and focusing solely on myself and believing lies about myself. And Jesus speaks pretty clearly about both of these two. Definitely about narcissism. He tells this story. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. These are the religious folk. These are your elders. These are your Bible study leaders. These are your pastors. He says, beware of them. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and make a show of lengthy prayers. These men, they're gonna be punished most severely. And we don't have flowing robes so much anymore. We have other ways to make ourselves feel important, look important, find those seats at the head of the table, right? My grandma calls Facebook the in your face, right? How many likes did I get? How many people said, wow, or loved this thing, right? Because really, our world, it feeds both of our insecurities and our narcissism. Think about advertising. How much of advertising is either focused on you're not good enough. You don't have enough money, so invest here. You don't look good enough, so work out here, right? It feeds off of our insecurity. Or it's trying to sell you, you're so awesome, you deserve that. You're so awesome, you should do this. You're so awesome, make everyone else know how amazing and perfect you are. And the irony is it's not wrong to say, you know what, I want to be better. I should probably be healthier. that's not wrong in and of itself. Or it's not wrong to say, you know what, that's kind of a cool toy. I think I might like that. There's nothing wrong with either of those two things. But when we turn the blessing or the gift into our primary source of our identity, and where we bring our strength, and where we find our security, and how we look at ourselves in the mirror, all of a sudden, those good things become toxic. They become head trash, and they stop us from being able to hear God, and hear what God wants to say to us, the gifts that God actually wants to give to us, and what we're supposed to actually do. One of the best examples of this head trash, and this type of thinking that I've ever heard, comes from a called Bird by Bird by Anne Lamont. Now, Anne Lamont is a Christian. Uh, She does have a little bit of a mouth on her, though, so I had to translate a couple of words, and so I have made this more of a PG-13 quote. Uh, But she talks about a radio station that I'm going to call K-Messed-Up. She has another word for it. I'll let you insert that, right? But she talks about this radio station that plays in her mind, and this is the quote. If you are not careful... Station, KMS Stop, will play in your head 24 hours a day nonstop in stereo, right? So stereo has the left and the right, right? Out of the right speaker in your inner ear will come the endless stream of self-aggrandizement, the recitation of one's specialness, and how much more open and gifted and brilliant and knowing and misunderstood and humble one is. Oh, Josh, if the world only knew how awesome you were. They would just be amazed. Find a way to make them understand that. Then there's another radio station. Out of the left speaker will be rap songs of self-loathing. The list of all the things one doesn't do very well. Of all the mistakes one has made today or over an entire lifetime. The doubt, the assertion that everything that one touches turns to excrement. That one doesn't do relationships well. That one is in every way a fraud, incapable of selfless love. That one has no talent, no insight, on and on and on. Josh, you're crap. You're never going to be good enough. You're a fraud. If people only knew, well, they wouldn't love you very much. They wouldn't like you anymore. And these two radio stations play And literally, as soon as one goes off, the other comes on. And we all wrestle with this in different phases, in different stages. Literally, this morning, I was wrestling with this. You want to know the head trash, my insecurity? All right, so my wife and I just adopted a puppy. She's beautiful, Inara and this was the first weekend where I was alone. She's doing a weekend away with the ladies, and so I was a single dad, right? Now, puppies are parenting light lights. This isn't a real child, and yet it was the first time really in my life that I had three continuous days where a living creature was dependent on me, right? And oh my gosh, do I have empathy for parents now, right? This is so much harder than anything I've done before, and I'm just barely keeping my head above the water, and today I've got church, right? So I've got to get the dog ready, and get her outside, and get her fed, and get her water, and make sure she uses the bathroom, get her in her crate, and so I am running late, and I can't find my shorts, and so eventually, I'm like, screw it, I'm grabbing the slacks, I throw the slacks on, I put the belt on, I get in the car, I'm driving to church, I'm late, and I look down, and there was a hole in my pants, and I'm like, I am pathetic, everyone is just going to wonder what kind of pastor shows up with a hole in the slacks, if the world only knew, Right? And those two radio stations, they're so strong and they're so consistent. So the question becomes, though, how do we turn it off? How do we turn off a radio station that never shuts up about how good I am or never shuts up about how bad I am? Well, Jesus' answer comes in Luke. He says, when he noticed that all who had come to dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice, right? So he's sitting at a party and he's watching the crowd and the crowd is all trying to like jockey for position right? And they want everyone else to know their position. So the closer you sit at the head of the table, the more important you are, the more gifted you are, the more respect you're supposed to get. And everyone's fighting for that, right? Either because they're insecure and they want everyone to think it, or because they're narcissistic and they want everyone to know how awesome, right? And Jesus looks at them. He gives them this advice. He says, when you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you're going to be embarrassed. You will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the table. Then your host sees you. He will come and say, friend, you got a better place. Then you will be honored in front of the other guests. And here it is, guys. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, Jesus' answer to both insecurity and narcissism is the same. Because it's the same problem. It's the same root, I ism, me ism, right? It's humility. But we don't understand humility very well. It's not something that we celebrate as a culture, it's not one of those really good Facebook memes, right? Where I can post easily. And so we as a culture really don't understand what humility is. And so let's first start off talking about what humility is not. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. All right. So this was my challenge when I was growing up. Right? Again, I, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't funny enough. And it was hard. Like, I was awkward. And this is, this is a funny story, but this is a true story. I was so awkward... 13 years old, and I was watching TV probably about seven hours a day, right? So I was glued to this thing because I wanted to be someone else. I was not okay with my reality. I was not okay with who I saw in the mirror. And so I just literally would watch TV 24-7. Whenever I could, I was watching TV. My mom got so upset. My mom got so frustrated that, I kid you not, she did this. One day, she comes into my room, she goes, Josh, I have some friends for you to play with. And I'm like, what? And she's like, yes, there were some boys who were riding their bike down the street and I literally got out in front of them and said, hey, you should come and play with my son. And so if you can imagine a 13 year old having to go down to these other 13 year olds whose mom literally stopped them in the middle of the road, right? Like This is like Child Protective Services gets called in the situation now, right? Like It was just awkward and weird, but I was awkward and weird and it was so hard for me and there were so many lies because I was thinking less of myself and I remember my dad he took me out one day and I, t- I can remember where I was in that parking lot when he said he said Josh you have got it all wrong what you're seeing in the mirror is all wrong and he started quoting me scripture he quoted me Psalm 139 he said Josh you are fearfully and wonderfully made by God He quoted me Genesis 1, and he says that you were made in the image of God. You have a unique reflection of the creator of the universe in you. Quoted me Ephesians 2, he says, For we are God's handiwork, handcrafted by God, created in Christ with a purpose. It's to do good, which God prepared in advance for you to do. He said, Josh, you're created by God. And he said, Josh, God doesn't build junk. Full stop. You are built by God, and God doesn't build junk. And when you're looking in the mirror and you are beating that person up, when you've taken out that emotional baseball bat, he goes, you are beating up a child of God designed by God. He goes, it's a lie. You were built with a purpose and with gifts. And that truth became a part of the foundation where all of a sudden I was able to start rebuilding everything else. Where it was okay that I wasn't the jock or I wasn't the egghead or I wasn't Spider-Man. It was just okay to be me because God built me. And all of a sudden, the things that I was the weakest at, friends, now were my greatest strength. I have the best friends. I have a community, this church included, that gets to love on me and I get to love on and that brings the best out of me and that I get to work to bring the best out of them. And God took my weakest area and he turned it into the best gift because of the foundation that he built me with a purpose to do good. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but humility, the flip side, is not thinking more of yourself. It's not looking in the mirror and just thinking, wow, that guy, he's got it all together. Because the irony is if you think in the mirror that there is no hope for that person, you just stop because it's hopeless. But if you look in the mirror and all you see is how awesome you are, you just stop because you don't have to progress anymore. If he's already perfect, if she's already perfect, well, what's the point of taking that next step? What's the point of seeing what God's up to? What's the point of walking if you've already achieved what you're going to achieve? And again, Jesus hits narcissism pretty hard. He says this, To those who are confident of their own righteousness, and they look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. He says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I give. He looks in the mirror and goes, God, thanks that I'm not like that idiot. Tax collectors were hated. They were thugs. They worked for Rome and they would extort money out of people. They were not good people. And that Pharisee, the religious, looks and he's like, man, look at that guy. Look at that guy in comparison to me. Jesus says, but the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you the truth, Jesus said. This man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. And then he says it again for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, when we look in the mirror and we think more of ourselves, we separate ourselves from everyone else. If my image of God is more important than your image of God, all of a sudden that relationship starts to break down. I start to pull away. I start to have a better-than-you complex. And that is not in Scripture. That's not the community God's trying to make. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is not thinking more of yourself. Humility is just thinking about yourself less. It's taking your eyes off the mirror. It's taking your eyes off of your brokenness or your success and saying, you know what? Instead, I'm going to stand on the foundation that I am built by God with a purpose. And what's that purpose? Jesus sums it up in two things. Love God with everything you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. He says, take that God-given talent Take the gifts that he's given you, the opportunities that he's given you, and instead of looking in the mirror, turn around and say, "How do I invest in other people? How do I bring out the best in other people? How do I think less of myself? And in thinking less of your about less, when you think less about yourself, all of a sudden your insecurities don't matter anymore, and neither does the narcissism. You've got better, deeper things to spend your time on, and those are the things of God. And all of a sudden, those fruits of the spirit that God promises." Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, they start to grow in us. That head trash gets taken out, and he replaces it with something beautiful and something powerful. One of the best descriptions of humility I've ever heard comes from C.S. Lewis. And he writes this, He says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He's not going to be the sort of greasy, swarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he is a nobody. Right? This isn't someone who's looking in the mirror and just telling him, I'm not very good, I'm not that gifted. That's not what humility is. Instead, probably, you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took an interest, and this is the key, in what you had to say. If you dislike him at all, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. He took an interest in what someone else had to say. He took an interest in the image of God in someone else. What God is doing outside of himself, in an individual, in a community, in a family. See, true humility just takes us out of looking in the mirror and all of a sudden we get to look out at the beautiful creation that God's created. That was always the plan. God created the world to be good and he gave us the world, not as one giant mirror into our own lives, but to experience the beauty and the life of him. It wasn't until we looked in the mirror and said, hey, I'd rather be God. I'd rather see a different person in the mirror. And that's when all literal hell broke loose. Right? All of a sudden, we rebel. We run away. And we needed a Savior, a Jesus, to come in and say, hey, even in your rebellion, I will love you. I will fight for you. I will die for you. But then I'm going to turn your head away from that mirror. I'm going to turn you back out to the world I created. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to be a part of that restoration and that reconciliation. Jesus ends that parable about talking about where to sit at a table, and he says this. He says, when you go to a luncheon or give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors, those who will uh, uh, tag you on Facebook. If you do, they may invite you back, and you will have been repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Because although they can't repay you, although they're not going to help the person in the mirror, or everyone else sees in the mirror, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Cure for Narcissism and Insecurity is to use whatever God-given gifts you have. Hospitality, cooking, encouragement, speech, generosity, whatever it is, however he built you, to take those gifts and to invest them in others, to bring out the best in others, to let other people know that you care about them. That's what humility is. It's taking our eyes off ourselves, looking at those God has brought into our lives and saying, God, how do I love my neighbor in this moment? What does that look like? How do we go forward? Again, we all wrestle with this. We all fight against this. We all look in the mirror. And so looking in the mirror, our God knows that. And so we build into our rhythm as a church an opportunity for us to gather and to say, God, we still need grace. We still need your redemption. We still need your strength. That's what communion is all about, community union. This is how we reconnect. This is how we look out beyond ourselves, being honest. Yes, I'm still a sinner, but I have a God who specializes in redemption and reconciliation. For it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it, and he gave it to each of his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. In the same way, also after the supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins." a new covenant, a new way to connect to God, but a new way to connect to each other as well. I invite those helping with community to come forward as we continue our worship.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axchurchleander.com.